Hey guys, you're now listening to the Maranatha House Podcast. That's right. <laughs> All right, so today we're doing things a little out of order uh, due to the fact that Mo's sick, and she did a lot of research on her her discipleship teaching, and I, I don't want to take that from her. I want to honor her hard work, and um, so she's going to teach that next week, um, loving God. We, we started part one, but we got hung up on probably the most important verse in Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and um, and I think that was good, but she, she's going to teach that probably next week. Um, and, but today I'm going to go ahead and just do part eight and that way it's the last one The the order doesn't matter, but so much. Um, so we're going to do part eight, which part eight is our, our finish line. We're at the end. We, we've been doing this for a while, but it's, um, he calls it preaching the good news, healing the sick, and casting out demons. Basically, this is the Great Commission portion. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dive into some verses. Um, so, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your presence that's here, um, that's tangible, that's real. We just invite you to move, to speak to us through your word. Um, I just pray that you would bring revelation to each one of us. Um, so that we can know you in a deeper and more personal way today, um, and that we would feel empowered and emboldened to walk out the Great Commission. So we just honor you and bless you today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. All right, let's go to John chapter 4, or 14, my bad. John chapter 14. My eye feels so much better. Oh, I'm so that was hurting. Um, John chapter fourteen. I'm uh, I'm gonna give a little context here. Um, the the disciples are having a talk with Jesus, and uh, Jesus is, has previously told them that he's going somewhere that the disciples don't know and they can't follow. So the disciples are disturbed by this. Like, what do you mean? Where are you going? Um, Jesus tells him, He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto him but the unto the Father, but by Jesus. That's verse seven of chapter fourteen, or verse uh, six. Um, and then verse eight, Philip says to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and then that'll be sufficient." Probably not the greatest question because Jesus has talked about this uber amounts of times saying things like, I only do what the Father does, and I only say what the Father speaks. Uh, I am in my Father, and He is in me. He said all kinds of things. Now Philip's asking this, and Jesus says to him, you know, have I been so been with you for so long that you don't even know who I am, and that I've shown you the Father already? Um, so that's where we're at. Um, we're going to scoot down to, uh, let's read verses 10 through 14. The verse I really want to focus on is verse 12, but we're going to read verses 10 through 14. Does somebody want to read that? Sorry, repeat that. Uh, John 14, 10 through 14. I'll read it. All right, come grab this. 
Yeah, <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Wait, what'd you say? All right, so John chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. Okay. Should I do it in ASMR? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is my Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidences of the work, evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, and so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is a, a very cool verse. So uh, what, what do you feel like the Lord is trying to say to us here? What stands out to you in the context of our call to the Great Commission? That we've given, been given us. It's okay. <laughs> that we have been given authority. Yeah. Um, and also um, the confidence to ask for something. Yeah. Whether it's healing or something or, or something like that. Um, and Jesus will do it in order to glorify the Father. Yeah. Anybody else have something they want to say? Something that stands out? Yeah, you have to do it. You have to do it yeah. in the Lord's name. Yes. Not what you want, but what the Lord wants yes. us to do. Yes. 100%. And I think that's, that's where a lot of people today miss that part of the, the verse and they take it out of context. And that's where you've got the name it and claim it right. group. Right. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of people just take that verse and say, uh, <clears throat> whatever you ask in my name, you know, that will I do. It's like, well, that's not really what he's saying. You can't just ask for a boat and the Lord's going to give you a boat. Sometimes he'll give you a boat because he loves you, but you can't hang on that verse saying that he's going to give me every single thing that I want. That's not the context of what he wants. He, he's talking about doing greater works, and if... If he's, if he's talking about greater works, he's referring to his miracles, his healings, casting out demons, um, preaching the gospel. He's saying that we're going to do greater things than these. But if you need help, ask. Whatever thing you want, ask for it. And that challenges me because uh, things that I've thought of for a long time is like someone who was born like without a leg. You know, what would that look like for the Lord to heal somebody with? Out a leg. Could it just grow out? Who says it can't? Jesus says, ask whatever in my name, and it will be given to you. So that, and this is the, the, the big part, that the Father will be glorified through Jesus. I think that's really cool. So, in this passage, who would you say that God is? The ultimate, the ultimate authority. Yeah, our ultimate authority. 
Jesus submits to the Father, Holy Spirit submits to the Father, we submit to the Father. Matt uh, Ball has a really good teaching on how to, how to pray. Um, and when you're praying, uh, this is something I still feel myself like breaking out of a habit because I've always been taught, you know, pray to Jesus or pray to uh, the Holy Spirit or pray to this. But Jesus always pointed people back to the Father. The Holy Spirit gives nothing that the Father isn't already given. They're both in sub uh, submission to the Father. So when we pray, ask the Father, and the Father will give us what we need, whether that's something through the Holy Spirit, whether that's something through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pray and ask the Father for those things. And you have to meet the conditions. Right. Sure. So, so yes, God, yeah. If, yep. If you deny. Right, that's right. Yeah, so the Father is the ultimate authority. What else is the Father here? The power. It's the power. That dunamis. I don't actually know if that's dunamis there, but I'm assuming that it is. Um, yeah, he, he empowers us to do these things. I mean, you could also say that the Father, because the Father is in Jesus, that the Father's doing the things that Jesus is talking about. So the Father is the one who's uh, giving us the things that we ask for when we need it, to glorify himself. To, and if you ask anything in his name, he'll do it. By extension, you are asking the Father. To do these things. That makes sense? So, who are we in this passage? What is our call in this passage? Obedience. Our call is obedience. obedience. Yeah. And how do we obey this? By keeping his commandments. Keeping the commandments. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in this context, what's his commandment? His command is to believe, to, uh, and the, a fruit of our belief is doing the works. Meaning, so if I believe that it's going to rain tomorrow, and I've got some things outside that are going to get really wet, and if they get wet, they're going to get damaged. If I believe it's wet, going to rain, then I'm going to go outside to cover those things or bring those things inside so that they don't get damaged by the rain. If I don't believe it, if I look at the weather forecast and it says rain, but I say, nah, I don't believe that's going to happen. I'm going to leave everything outside. Belief is always tied to our actions. Yeah, belief is always tied to our actions. We talked about this with um, the Hebrew series, how uh, what the Lord is after is our believing loyalty. Not just our, our statement of belief, but our believing loyalty, such as when the, in the Old Testament when the spies went into the land, and there were 12 of them, and Ten came back with bad reports, and two came back with good reports. The ten said they believed God, said they believed in Yahweh, but their actions revealed what they truly believed, was that God wasn't big enough to face these giants, or that they were going to have to fight these giants alone. It was Joshua and Caleb who walked into the land and uh, saw the giants and gave no attention to that. They said. Yahweh's with us. 
this is our land. He's already promised it to us. So we're going to walk in there. They were ready to walk in and fight these people probably by themselves. They're, they're crazy. So belief is always tied to action. And if you say you believe something and you're not doing it, then you need to check what you actually believe. Because you can say one thing with your mouth and believe one thing different with your heart or your mind. The uh, 10 uh, gave an evil report or they confessed mm -hmm. um, disbelief. Yes. 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 And what happened? What happened to those that confessed disbelief? That's right. Them and their generation. That whole generation died out. I mean, that's crazy. It's the same thing with, with the Lord. We have to follow Him. We have to believe and walk in it. And sometimes you can believe something but just hesitate to walk in it because you're feeling passive. But if you just start walking in it, you realize it's a lot easier than it than I realize. And your belief it goes, grows. It goes along with a statement. What you do speaks so loud, yeah. I can't hear a word you say. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Actions are louder than words. So, cool. So our call to this is believe in the Father and do the greater works. I mean, that's crazy. That should challenge each one of us today that Jesus has called us to do greater things than he, even he did. Some people would be offended by that. Do greater works than Jesus? How could you? He's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, but he lives inside of me, right? And if it's not me doing the work, if it's Jesus doing the work through me, then I'm not stealing from his glory. I'm glorifying him just like Jesus glorified the Father because the Father was in him. So we glorify the Son when the Son lives in us. And we walk and allow him to work through us. Cool? Let's go to our next verse. Luke chapter 4. Luke, I am your Abba. Luke chapter 4, chapter 4. Um, context for this is uh, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus has just entered into um, has entered into the, the wilderness. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that Satan comes and tempts him in the wilderness. And there's a series of temptations. Um, we're going to read verses 18 through 21. Uh, so this is after he walks out of the, the wilderness. But it's really important to see that um, when Jesus walks out in verse 14, it says that Jesus returned to the city in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. So Jesus goes into the wilderness, suffers for 40 days and 40 nights fasting and obeying the Lord. But he walks out in power and walks out in recognition. I think that's really good to see. So we're going to read verses 14 through uh, 20, 21. Yeah, we're going to read. Uh, actually, let's read 14 through 22. Who wants to read that one? Yeah, Angel's referring to one of my first sermons ever where I was super nervous and said that Jesus had to learn how to be obedient because he was 
you know, just as sinful as the rest of us as a kid. <laughs> I got swiftly corrected in front of a group of youth, and uh, I will never teach that again. That is heresy. So, all right, Dick. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. <clears throat> and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yep. Thank you. So, what, uh, what stands out to you guys here? His authority. Yeah, Jesus' authority. He, he steps onto the scene and he, he walks out in power and he walks straight to the synagogue like he always did. He's probably been attending that synagogue for years. But then this day he walks in and he, he stands up and reads the scroll and reads this yeah. passage about himself. Right. There sounds to me like there's a chunk of time in between him walking out of the desert and this, where he's going to other synagogues. Yeah. Because this is his custom to go teach there to sit down. To right, sleep. right. That's it's, a good it's point. It's not just like a one, like he goes from the desert straight here. He taught in their synagogues, right. We just maybe don't have record of those other teachings. Yeah, I guess it would be a good study where we could uh, study where, where did Jesus go into the wilderness? And how far would that travel have been? You know, because he probably was traveling back to Nazareth, his hometown, mm -hmm. and stopping at all the synagogues on the way home. I wonder if he also said the same thing. Oh, yeah. Well, because half, half the thing with this, so the, the passage of Isaiah is where they happen to be. Right. When, when this is getting read. But the other reason it's interesting is this is him reading to his home people. That's right. And they've seen him grow up. They know They know Jesus. Him. This is flying in the face of that's Joseph and Mary's a lot boy. Of stuff, right? The kid that ran away when he was twelve and was hanging out with all the old guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it it says I love that it it says uh, in verse twenty he closes the book he sits down uh, and the eyes of all those that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, were fixated on him. Which is another thing culturally synagogues so you stand up you read right. and then you sit down and you teach right so it's expected that that's 
Right. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. So they're eagerly awaiting. And Jesus says, this prophecy is fulfilled today. Cam, is what you're saying that Jesus didn't go just to any synagogue. He deliberately, purposely went back to his hometown. No. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think he taught at a number of different synagogues, and this just happened to be the next, like the one he was at when this happened, which is why it got reported. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So. Uh, yeah, Jesus is being pretty cool. Um, he's a cool guy. <laughs> pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, so in this passage, let's go back to our question. Who, who is God in this passage? Jesus is kind of telling them, it's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the prophecy fulfilled. He's he's the one to whom the scriptures were referring, which is a very, very bold claim. Very bold. Especially to his hometown. Especially to his hometown. That's right. But if you read a little bit further, I get so much gold. You should bring your chair like right there. It's fine. I could use the extra steps. Um if you, I mean, if you read a couple verses further down, I mean, uh-huh. they drove them out of the city. Yeah, <laughs> they were right. cheesed. Yeah, they were. They were mad, upset. angry. Sorry. <laughs> right. It sounds like heresy. That'd be like somebody coming up in our world today and walking into our church saying, "I'm the second coming of Jesus," and wearing a cloud skirt. It's exactly like that. But it's also it's the basis for why the church leaders forever are like. He's a heretic. Right. Because he sat down and told us he is God. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy claim. But this is the man in whom we believe. And the fruit of his life shows that he is the Son of God. Uh, All of the prophecies match up with Jesus. Did those people never think of that? Yeah, I don't know what they, I mean, I think a lot of times it can be really easy to just fixate on like a theology of something. Like you hear all these prophetic words and you get so fixated on waiting for his his coming, waiting for the Messiah, that when he shows up, you're, you're so used to waiting and expecting that it's hard to say the fulfillment is here. They have a fully different idea of it too. They yeah. think he's going to be a military general. That's right. That's right. He's going to walk in. He's going to kick the Romans out. And he's going to do all these things. They're not thinking he's just going to be, you know, a Jesus. Carpenter. That was right. their imagination. And especially too, Cam had brought this up earlier that he had lived in their midst for thirty years, not saying a word about it. This is the 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 initiation of his public ministry, and. Uh, so you, I, I believe that Jesus wasn't calling himself the son of God at all, or the son of man at all, up until that point. He was just a normal guy. Um, Although he was teach, like talking, even from a young age, he had very, that's right. he was very advanced for his age. That's right. But to their defense, their defense also, I think I was reading something around that time, there was like four or five dudes that had claimed to be the Messiah. There was a... So a, they were... 
already alarmed. There were generations of people claiming to be a messiah. I mean, this is where the, the Book of the Maccabees comes in. That's right. Because there's a whole multiple revolutions yeah. before Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, where military guys stand up and go, yeah, I'm the messiah that's going to kick people out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when there's been a lot of false shepherds, then it gets a little hairy. Dicey. Dicey. There still are. That's right. Um, so, who would you say we are in this passage? This one requires a little bit of abstract thinking, but not that abstract. We would be people in the synagogue. We don't get too uh, too sucked into that. Who are we called to be? We're called to be Christ-like. We're called to be Christ-like, right? And if Jesus, yes, exactly. So if Jesus uh, has made His home inside of us, um, He lives within us, then it would be uh, easy to say that we are also the ones called to uh, preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives. Recover, helping the blind to recover sight and to set, setting liberty to those who are oppressed. That's our call. I mean, that's the call of the gospel. How many, uh, how many times have you been in church and this type of thing is ignored? Or they read that and they, the believers will say, oh, that's Jesus's like role. Jesus is the one who brings justice. Now, I'm not saying we... We go out and parade the streets and, you know, uh, bring justice in our own way. That's how you become a, a, a heretic, a false messiah. But we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we wake up in the morning and ask him, what do you want to do today? When we're in the food lion or uh, stopping at the gas station, we're, we're in communication with the Holy Spirit and the Father. What do you want to do today? Who are you speaking to? So that when we come across these people who are captives, who are oppressed, who are brokenhearted, we preach the gospel to them. And preaching, there's preaching the gospel and then there's walking out the, the kingdom, which is healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. We're called to do these things. And sometimes it's not as easy as you walk into the gas station and you can tell the guy sitting at the counter is oppressed. It's not that easy. A lot of times, it's I walk to the counter and I have to start a conversation with this because he's a wage slave to a corporation. That's right. <laughs> uh, he's a slave to the corporation working in the gas station. Um, well, have you ever known anybody who raised the dead? No. No. But I've heard stories of people being raised all across Africa. All across these other areas, I, I still believe it's for today. I think I've heard of. I mean, Smith Wigglesworth uh, in the 1800s raised multiple people. Yeah, yeah. So it happens. I'm. I think is it. Here's the question you have to ask yourself: Is there? There's first the question that a lot of people will ask is, well, is that for today? And then other the question we should be asking is, if it is for today, why am I? How many people are actually asking? 
how many Christians would actually see a dead person and pray? I'd say bordering on less than 1%. Seven. Less than. Yeah, no, exactly. Because we say we believe it with our mouth, but our actions reveal that we don't actually believe it. What's the worst that can happen? They stay dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, you're never going to know until you start laying your hands on people. We're going to go over a verse shortly in Mark, uh, where Mark gives the, it's the, the great commission of, you know, heal the sick. But it says, these signs follow those that believe. So, or you could say, these actions follow those that actually believe it that they will lay their hands on the sick. Can you imagine what would happen that um, you find out that your next door neighbor died mm -hmm. and they come over and tell you and you say, I'm sorry for your loss, mm -hmm. rather than saying that, well, let's pray and ask God to raise him back. Right. Back up. Right. Yeah. Right. And that you think you think they're going to run out that door real quick. Right. Right. <laughs> Then, depending on the relationship between the husband and the wife, do I want to have him raised back up? That's right. That's right. Well, we have to ask what matters most. What matters most? Does what people think about us matter most, or does God's truth matter most? I'd rather look like a fool in man's eyes than disappoint God. Well, not, yeah, disappoint God or show up to him at the end of time. And the only thing, Chuck Missler says this. The only thing that we'll carry from this life to the next is regrets. I mean, we'll carry like our relationship with the Lord and stuff like that, but regrets is one thing that will stick with us. Man, I should have, if only I had of, you know, all this stuff. And I'm sure that the Father will quench those regrets. You know, He's not going to, we're not going to be up in heaven like every day wailing because we regretted this, but we have a very short time on this earth. And if we live um, worried about what other people think, if we live worried about how this might look, if we live afraid with a spirit of fear, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do through us. Africa, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know the numbers. Reinhard Bonnke is an amazing evangelist who would all the time lead these massive uh, revivals where thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come. And they were, I, I, I mean, I think I remember there being like over 50 like healings of like people being raised from the dead. People would bring their dead to these meetings and they would walk out. Uh, it's nuts. Heidi Baker is another person. She works with oh, yeah. Iris Global. They do a lot of work in um, Mozambique. Um, and they're constantly, Mozambique is one of the most persecuted places on earth, especially for Christians, because of the, the Taliban and their, uh, they're very uh, Islamic, they're Muslims. And so, uh, but they're like extremists. So they're, they want to kill Christians. So they'll go in and destroy whole villages. I mean, I just watched a film where they interviewed her and she was talking about how she interviewed like multiple people in just the village that she was working in. And they were saying, yeah, my, my nephew was killed, my, my brother was killed, my sister was killed, everyone was killed, you know. And this is a common story. Like, it's hard to find somebody whose family members weren't killed. 
what privilege we have here, you know? What's the worst that can happen if I go ask somebody to pray for me? No, don't pray for me. Over there, you get killed. So, but it's the same thing. It doesn't matter what, what they do to my body, what they think about me. I am called to live as a son and obedient to the call. And if Christ is in me, then I believe that he can move through me powerfully. We just read that he can move and do greater things than what he did in the, just this book. The end of John says that uh, there's a bunch of things that weren't recorded that Jesus did in his ministry. And that if he uh, tried to write it all down, it would fill all, all the books in the world or something like that. I can't remember the exact phrase. There's not, he said, it's not enough room. That's right. For it to be. Right, right. I mean, it, that's nuts. This is the life we can live. Um, so, what is God calling us to obey here? I think we just described it, is believing that just like Jesus, has the Spirit of the Lord was on him. He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He was sent to heal up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of the sight to the blind is set at liberty those who are oppressed. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is our call. And if you want to do a deeper uh, study, go back to Isaiah, read that passage, and read the second part. Because the second part's referring to Jesus' second coming, the things that he's going to come to do. That part hasn't happened yet. So right now, this is what we're living in. This is our call, the first half of this prophecy. Cool? We're also called not to be like the ones who uh, are quoted down in verse 23 who uh, mm. were disbelieved right. and said, we don't buy that. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we're called to believe and to walk out our belief. And whether that's crazy or not, we are called to walk it out. All right, let's go to our next passage. Uh, actually, it's right here. Verse 38 through 41. I knew there was one that was close. Um, all right, so this is part of Jesus' healing ministry. This is the same chapter, verse 38 through 41. Does somebody want to read that? Thank you, Carol. And he rose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now, was that it, or one more verse? Uh, where did you stop? Yeah, read 40 and 41 as well. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. All right, so what stands out to you guys here? His ability to heal. 
his ability to heal. How how uh, effective? Immediately. How effective was Jesus? Immediate, immediate. normal. Somebody quick, tell me a scripture where it says that healing stops. There is none. <laughs> Good. There is none. Healing is still a call for today. That, that's what always, when we were we were saved in a church that believed in dispensations. Right. And I always wondered, where did they get this from? Right. Right. And usually it comes from people who are very responsible with the Bible. And I know there are, I'm not trying to bash or destroy. Trust me, that's not my my goal um it's just they're they're very responsible with the bible until it gets to something like that that's challenging and then i see a lot of flexing of the scripture or making things fit and an attempt to fit a a theology instead of letting scripture reveal itself um so like i said no no hate it's just i my big thing is i want to read scripture what scripture says and I want to walk it out and do it. And um, so anyway, yeah, Jesus was an effective healer, I would say. Um, I mean, he he healed the fever of uh, Simon's wife's mother. Um, and then until when the sun was setting, all the sick with all kinds of diseases, didn't matter what it was, he was ready to heal. You know, we're, we're doing our uh, Wednesday spiritual gift nights every other Wednesday. Um, where we will eventually talk about healing and how to walk in the gift of healing. Um, right now, the first thing I would say is, if you want to learn about healing, start putting your hands on the sick. Just start doing it. What is the worst that can happen? You could get sick. <laughs> yeah, you could get sick. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. Well, if you believe that the power of the Lord is inside of you. John G. Lake during... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the disease was, but there was some disease that was going around. It was kind of like our version of COVID today. John G. Lake was in the 1800s, but uh, he believed so deeply in the power of God and healing, and he moved in the gift of healing very strongly. But he told the these researchers to take the disease and uh, infect them with it, basically, and then put them under a microscope and watch what, what happens to the cells. And the doctors, the researchers were like, okay, and they put this deadly disease in his body, and they watched as the cells just instantly died. And he's like, it's the power of God. John G. Lake. John G. Lake is amazing. Amazing healer. You want to learn about healing? I, I think he was either English or American. I can't remember. But I think he did a lot of ministry in Africa. Um, so, um, but yeah, the, like this, this is something we're called to. Now, here's the thing. Healing doesn't always happen. As I think most of us know, we've probably seen, we've had a lot of disappointment. Um, Go ahead, Cam. He's Canadian. Who, John G. Lake? Is he really? (laughs) I didn't know that. Born in Canada. Ah, that's beautiful. Um, So with healing, Jesus has a consistent uh, practice that he does um, where when all the crowds are gone, when everything ceased, instead of going straight to bed, he normally would go out into uh, a secret place. Uh, he would go away and pray, um, whether that was at nighttime or he'd get up way early in the morning while it was still dark. I believe that Jesus, in his own personal time ministering to the Father and receiving from the Father, built a sustainability to walk in the power of God and not burn out 
and continue to grow in his effectiveness. So there's a, a when you when you're spending time with the Lord, when you're growing in the Lord, when you, you you're dedicating yourself to that, it, it's a the idea of stewardship. God is looking for those who are good stewards of His presence. Uh, not to say that you know if you go and pray for someone, but you haven't been spending time in the secret place that week, that He's not going to answer your prayer. That's being hard on yourself. But there are certain sicknesses, diseases. Uh, infirmities, um, spirits that uh, Scripture talks about only come out through fasting or prayer or uh, almost like a deeper realm of authority in the Spirit. The only way to get that uh, to grow in your authority in the Spirit is to submit to the Father even more every day. And so my encouragement to you is start laying your hands on the sick now. Like start doing it. Start walking in it. Every disappointment, write it down. Take it to the Father. Give it to him because ultimately it's his responsibility to heal. You know, we're called to lay our hands, but he's the one doing the healing. Um, but write it down and give it back to the Father. Too many people carry the disappointment of what didn't happen instead of giving it back to the Father because that's his responsibility and he doesn't ask us to carry that. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So I could go on for a long time talking about healing, but. Let's uh, let's ask our questions. Who is God in this passage? Yeah. He's the healer. He's a healer. When it comes to God the Father, we have to know this has to be one of our core um, ideas about the Lord, that he is a healer. And there is scripture to back up the fact that he desires healing. So when you were talking about fasting, um, with healing. Uh -huh. um, let's take me for example. Yeah. I'm fasting from all of the known things for this skin condition. Sure. It doesn't doesn't give us any indication of how long it's right. going to take. Right. But ultimately, it will happen. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so what I would say to that is that fasting is different than a diet restriction. We have to know the two. Fasting is willingly giving up something that, uh, you know, we're just willingly giving up, such as I'm giving up eating food, something that sustains me daily because I want to rely on the Father. Fasting is not I'm going to stop eating uh, ho-hos and cheesecake for the next week uh, and I'm just going to submit my sugar addiction to the Lord. You shouldn't have a sugar addiction in the first place. I'm not saying you have a sugar addiction. I'm saying diet restriction is not a uh, fast unless the Lord calls you to stop uh, dieting or to, to diet certain foods um, and you're actively praying throughout the entire time that you're doing that because the purpose of a fast is giving up something that is good for God's greater good. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not giving away bad things in order to receive good. It's it's a sacrifice of something good for God's greater good. It's generally also in conjunction with like prayer and, and something you're you're particularly trying to like pray for. Sure. Um yeah. with the goal of the fast being usually um indefinite 
until you see an answer to that prayer. Yeah. So it's a little different than just let me figure out what my body's dealing with because you're you're not necessarily in prayer um, oh, specifically to be healed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you're you've removed things from your diet in order to sort of diagnose an issue rather than I'm fasting from these until I get healed. Right. And then the Lord will release me and I can yeah have them again. We've got we've got a whole teaching, I think maybe two parts on fasting that we did uh, a couple months ago. I can send you that if you want to listen to it a little more. Might answer some more questions. Um, but yeah, fasting is an intentional decision to give up a good thing for something that God has better. It's saying food and water is good for me, but you're greater than me. You sustain me deeper than food and water. So that's at least a biblical fast. We we'll we can talk more about it later. Um, all right. So God is the healer. I think that's where we we were. Um, who are we in this passage? Yeah, we we, we can end up being the sick. That's a hundred percent right. We're also called to be like Jesus and become the healers. You know, um, this is early on in Jesus's ministry, so uh, there's not like a lot of help coming from the disciples uh, because there's yet time for them to learn. He, he's modeling for them a behavior like we were talking about earlier, Dick, with modeling behavior for your children. Jesus was modeling a behavior uh, of this is how you should live. And the disciples are watching and observing. That was a, a big part of learning from a rabbi was proximity so that you could learn from a, a rabbi's actions, not just teachings. Um, so, yes, we are we, we are the sick, but we are also the ones who just do the same thing that Jesus did. Heal the sick, cast out the devils. So when, it talk, when we're talking about what are we called to obey here, I think it's the same thing we've been talking about is go do the things. Do not just say you believe it. We have got to walk it out. The church has lost its effectiveness in the world in a lot of ways. Not totally. You know, there's still a lot of people walking in this, but a lot of churches have lost their effectiveness because they haven't obeyed the simple commands of Scripture, especially the, the big one, the Great Commission. We've reduced the Great Commission to getting a, a bunch of salvations. Or getting a bunch of people to come attend our church. To fill a building. Um, filling a building's easy. I could fill, I, I could in six months fill a building. And that's not me being cocky. I'm just saying. It's not that hard to fill a building. What's hard is to walk a life with people. To stand beside them. To disciple them. To lead them in daily discipleship. Some of that too is that like the more cessationist churches don't teach some of this stuff right. or believe it, but don't bring it up. Like my, my dad constantly talks about like if somebody in the congregation is, is suffering for something like the session will absolutely take someone will go over, anoint them, pray for them, which is what it says you're supposed to do in the scripture. Right. It just typically doesn't get asked for. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Whether that's they don't know about it or they don't think about it or, right. or whatever. Like, yeah. 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 That's a big point. Um, yeah. And apparently somebody knew Jesus was a healer. There was a reputation for him being a healer because all these people came from around the area to bring all their sick, all their disease, all their demon possessed. Like he had a reputation that preceded him that he would heal and cast out demons. What's our reputation? Go to the doctor. A good cup of coffee. (laughs) Go to the doctor. That's hilarious. Have a good cup of coffee. Good fellowship. Chicken soup. Yeah. (laughs) Sunday brunch. These are good things. They're not bad. But Jesus wasn't known for Sunday brunch. Unless he was dining with tax collectors and... That being said, he did go, he did like intentionally go eat with people. Jesus loved eating. Uh, I love the story. I'll never forget there's a guy I met. Oh, Lord, step on the guitar. There's a guy I met from um, Maps. He was coming to uh, some of our men's Bible studies at a time. And um, I remember he said, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to ask that the Lord would make me breakfast. I'm like, make you breakfast? What? (laughs) And he was referring to when Jesus walks on the road to Emmaus and the two disciples are discussing, you know, Jesus and Jesus comes and reads the scripture with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. They just think it's some guy and he opens up the scripture and reads it to them and teaches them. And they're like, wow. And they talk about, did not our hearts burn inside of us? You know, when they're talking to him and Jesus says, let's go get some breakfast. And he cooks up some fish and maybe some eggs. I don't know. Um, But he cooks up the food and he breaks the bread and passes it to them. And when they when he breaks the bread, they're all like, hold on. I've lived this moment before. And I think he disappears at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. Jesus yeah. just <laughs> gone. They're like, wow, that was Jesus. It's a crazy story, but Jesus loved food. One of the first things that will happen then after Jesus comes back is we're going to a wedding feast. So food's not bad. You know, it's the, the way in which we use it. Anyway. Um, where were we? Obedience. Um, yeah, we have to walk this stuff out. I and mean, you're never going to know if you have the power unless you start to exercise it. It's the whole purpose of our spiritual gift nights is to make it not, like it's still going to be supernatural, but make it not so unfamiliar that the supernatural will become our normal. That's what I want. Jesus, I mean, the disciples were probably all the time feeling uncomfortable because of the things that Jesus would do, you know, it was a lifestyle. To use a uh, purely uh, worldly expression, uh, fail your way to success. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've laid hands on people before and asked for their healing and, they didn't get their healing, right? But that doesn't mean I should stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but continue doing it till you're successful. Yes, yes. Don't let your In failure cause you to not stop. Not successful. That's right. That's right. Because you're good at yeah healing. Healing and anybody who's ever been good at anything failed a hundred and one times, if not more. Cam, how long did it take you to become good at playing drums and guitar? Years. Years. <laughs> Years. Also, it depends what you mean by good, because there's a there's a yeah. I was about to say. I'm still not. 
Angel, how long did it take you to get average at FIFA? <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. average at FIFA. It's a video game. <laughs> Cut that. Anyway, I'm very good. It, it takes failure to think what, like, this is how the enemy deceives the church that if I go out and I pray for somebody to get healed and they don't get healed, then it, it doesn't work. I'm just, it's not for me. It's for somebody else. Some people have it. Some people don't. Tell that to Wilt Chamberlain one of the great, or Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Kobe worked his butt off. He would wake up. I read his, his routine. He would wake up at like 3 or 4 in the morning, go shoot the ball for like two, three hours. He'd go to the gym, work out. He'd go back to the gym and start shooting basketballs. And then he'd go home, have – uh, lunch or like late breakfast, uh, take a quick nap, and then go back out to the gym. I mean, worked out two, three times a day, shot around at the gym two, three times a day. That was his daily life. He had to work at it. We are deceived to think that when we pray for healing, that it's just this spiritual thing and you either have it or you don't. That is unbiblical. That is not borne out in scripture in any which way. The, the supernatural is for those who walk in it. And there's going to be failure. Todd White, I love Todd White. There's some things theologically that he does that I don't really believe in, but he is one of the most effective evangelists I've ever encountered. I've watched him multiple times, and the dude just believes every person he encounters. Before he, we, Me and Mo were watching a movie the other night called Father of Lights. Um, and Todd's in the Middle East, and he sees this guy walking up to him who's kind of limping, and he just walks up to him. He goes, hey, do you have trouble with your back? The guy's like, yeah. He's like, I can, I can fix that. I can, we can fix that. And the guy's like, uh, okay. And he sits him down on a bench. He prays for him. Simple prayer. He just goes, I'm just going to lay my hands on your, on your legs, and I'm just going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, heal his legs right now. Let grace and mercy be poured out on him. Let your healing come. In Jesus' name, amen. The guy's sitting there. He's like, what in the world? And Todd's like, okay, cool. Stand up. Let's test it out. So the guy stands up. He starts walking. All the pain's gone. And Todd's like, all the pain's gone, isn't it? And the guy's like, yeah, it's all gone. How did you know? He's like, it's Jesus, man. It's Jesus. It's a, an amazing story because when I watch it, I'm like, how did you have confidence? Like, I'm terrified to go up to somebody going, God's, I know how to fix you. Or I know how to bring healing. Like, I know how to get this fixed you know that's crazy confidence and then to after he prays to go the pain's all gone isn't it before the guy even says anything he has such a confidence but if you listen to todd's story it took him years god told him to go lay hands on the sick and he laid hand on the sick for like over a year like every day like multiple people a day and he never experienced a single healing it took him like a year and some change maybe more than that for the Lord to start breaking through. So that's why I say it's not this thing of, oh, I have to get uh, a supernatural gift. It is a supernatural gift, but the Holy Spirit's inside of you. It's a thing of us practicing it, walking out in it, and letting the Holy Spirit teach us along the way. So let's go to our next passage. 
we're going to read Mark chapter 16. Mark. Now, this is a portion of scripture that isn't uh, added to the original transcript. Is that right, Cam? Verses 9 through 20 in Mark 16. Um, so it's, say that again. So basically th this portion of scripture is not, uh, in the original like transcript or the original document that they have. So it's in some of them. In some of them. Right. Okay. Is, is the issue. It's okay. in some, but not others. Okay. That's, that's what I'm wanting to point out. Um, the reason we're reading this is because I believe it's not saying anything much different from what the other gospels have already said. Um, so we're going to read. Uh, verses, uh, let's do verse 15 through 20. Does somebody want to read that? Cam, you want to read it? And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them, and they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Uh, how far? Uh, go all the way to the okay. end. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Amen. So, what uh, what stands out to you guys here? Um, What's that? He gives the gospel again. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Instruction. Believe. Be baptized. These signs. And then these signs follow those that believe. It's that verse I was bringing up earlier. What are those signs? Casting out demons. Speak with new tongues. Taking up serpents. Shall not hurt them. And then... They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. What else stands out? Anything? I love the end. Jesus says that... Uh, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. He then sat at the right hand of, the, of God, at the right hand of the Father. And then the disciples went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. I just love that. And signs following mm -hmm. what we read before that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just did the things. They went forth and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. So it's not this thing of we're going out on our own and healing on our own accord. It's doing ministry with the Lord. It's graduating from uh, just sitting in a pew or sitting in a metal chair or a kitchen chair. It's graduating from just sitting in a chair at church on Sunday and consuming. And now it's about becoming. Becoming Jesus. Hearing and then you know, doing. 
don't take that the wrong way. I'm not saying we become Jesus. We become like Jesus. And our yieldedness to him allows him to work through us and in us. It, it speaks volumes that they go out and preach everywhere, but the Lord works with them and confirms right. the message. That's right. It's a good reminder that like you can you can walk in, in healing all you like, but you have to remember that that's not you. That's right. That's only the fact that you have God with you. The most gifted people I've seen that walk in the Spirit are not the ones who are the most spiritually powerful or something like that, or like they earned it somehow. It's the ones who have obeyed and yielded to Him the most. It's the ones who have released the most control to the Lord. And the ones that just simply obey and follow. What you're teaching this morning, mm -hmm. if um, you were called to become a pastor of a church uh, that the pastor had moved on somewhere and you started preaching mm -hmm. at that church, uh, what you're preaching this morning. You'd last about get me fired five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear our church is about to cut my pay in half anyway. Yeah, exactly. We'll find a way. You owe us. You can't cut nothing. Yeah, that that's what I'm I'm getting at, and this isn't in no way is my heart to teach this stuff to say down with the the big church or down with the church capital c it's more so gaining perspective like reading the bible letting the truth be truth and then i also want our perspectives to change because we live in the west we live in a bubble when when i went to jmu uh for two years i had a couple buddies that we met every week and had like a men's group it was just like three or four of us um and one of the things I always talked about was like, I can't stand being here at JMU, which was really weird because everyone had a good time at JMU. And I had good times. It wasn't like I hated every day and was depressed, but like there was something there that I was like, I just can't put my finger on it. It just doesn't feel real. And I finally came to a, uh, we, we had talked about it and kind of was able to define what I was feeling was that we were living in a bubble. There are all these kids going to school and that felt like real life to them, where you go to school every day and you come home. But there's so many people there that everything was being paid for them. You know, they just showed up. They just went through their day. And the real world was just way different. And there's this closed off perspective to what real life was. There are a lot of people that go to college that think that this is real life. This is what you do. And it's not. It's a bubble. And it's because you've submitted to a bubble. You know, it's part of life. The church in America has been in a bubble, and that bubble is fill, filled with churches that are more just geared towards entertaining or getting people in and doing your one to two hours on a Sunday and then getting out. Sometimes you got small groups, but the small groups aren't built around Jesus. They're built around activities like uh, dinner for dads or mommy workouts or uh kids camp or all this stuff and i'm not saying that that's wrong it's but it's not reality i mean it's and it's uh it's very surfacey um because when you look at the church in china 
there's a remnant radio interview with this woman named Jackie Pullinger. Um, she has an amazing testimony. The Lord called her to missions. She didn't know where she was supposed to go. She hopped on the first ship out and ended up in China in this crazy area. I think it's called like the dark city or the lost city or something like that, but it's the slums and these houses, they just built, 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 built on top of each other. The, it, it's this one spot that is like all these buildings. There's no roads. There's only pathways in between the buildings and it's dark. It's depressing. And it's one of the uh, highest rate of opium uh, addicts in, in the world. She moved there and for the past, since the 1960s, she's been ministering to these people there and they've encountered the gospel. She, one of the, the biggest testimonies from her, uh, ministry that Leonard Ravenhill talks about all the time because he loves Jackie Plinger is how powerful she is when she prays in tongues. And when you, they asked Jackie Plinger in the interview, I got to hear about the story. She's like, I don't know much of it. I just pray in tongues. And what happens is these people have been addicted to opium for years and years and years. She prays over them in tongues and the addiction breaks off. And it's not just one, two, it's like mass groups of people. I mean, it's it's crazy. And it's not like she's doing anything crazy. She's just obeying the call of the Great Commission, speaking in tongues or praying for the sick or being close to the brokenhearted, being in those situations. Um, there's all kinds of testimonies. We talk about the testimonies in the Middle East of how the gospel is moving there. Uh, Africa, there's so much going on in Africa. South America, there are mass revivals happening in South America all the time. But it looks way different than what our church style looks like. It's not about getting butts and chairs. It's not about uh, having a big building or having big worship or having a, an excellent service or professional service. That is like so far away from what these churches in other parts of the world are like. These other churches are built around community, around a, a people that are committed to the gospel and committed to the sick, the poor, the, the broken, the, the, those around them. And they're constantly living shoulder to shoulder with them. That's the gospel. And that's what I want our church to be like. I believe that America can experience great, great revival, just like these other areas. But it's not going to come through the church system we have right now. It has, it has been a blessing. It has done good things. It's done amazing things. And I'm not trying to close it down myself. But I'm saying the Lord is moving in a way that's different from what we've practiced because what we've practiced has grown old and is riddled with not great things. And the Lord's revealing those things for a reason. The church in the future in America is underground, is communal, is stuff like this where we meet in houses, where we're not taking up an offering for a big building, where we're not taking up, uh, we're, we're not just, studying theology just to feel good about our theology and we're not just uh proving how smart we are how powerful we are and all this stuff it's not about status we become like jesus who did not consider equality with god something to be attained or earned but through the, uh, the act of a servant gave his life that's what we're called to that's the great commission and so i think it's fitting because now we'll read the last uh, the last portion of this passage, or the last verse that I have for this 
passage. It's um, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read verse 1 through 20. And because uh, I don't get to read very often, I'm going to read. What verse is it? Uh, it's Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. I might even read a little farther. Yeah, I might read through 24, but I'll, I'll see when we get there. All right. So, here it is. This is Jesus sending out 70 of his disciples. So Jesus had his 12, but he also had 70 other disciples. And this is Jesus sending them out. Keep in mind, Jesus hasn't gone to the cross, hasn't been resurrected yet. There's no uh, pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost yet. This is Jesus empowering these people. This is our call as believers today. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs amongst wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into, whatever, into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And then heal the sick that are there, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your way out into the street of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaves unto us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth, <laughs> that's a tough one, despiseth me. Um, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Thanks a lot, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit, and he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. 
and who the Father is but the Son, and he to him the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. That should be something that we have printed out and put on our bathroom mirror that we read every morning. Because we are just like the 70. Jesus sends us out to go preach the good news, to proclaim the good news. I uh, I just watched, the, I got a bunch of movies for you guys. Very good. My faith is on fire right now. Um, there's this guy in uh, um, Africa, his name is. Surprise Sithole. This is a crazy name. <laughs> crazy name. But uh, the Lord revealed himself to him in his village one day and told him he needed to get out of the village right now. And he was like, okay. And he listened and he went with a friend and they both walked out of their village and they ended up getting lost in this jungle. Um, and they were lost for like two weeks in this jungle. And then they finally got found their way out and they were in this other village and they asked what village are we in and the people told them you're in so into a village and he was like that's impossible because there's a giant river that separates my village from this village there's no way we're in that village and we didn't cross a river <laughs> and they were like well you're here now and so uh they started preaching the gospel to that village and people started getting radically saved and delivered come to find out his whole village had been burned down and destroyed. Everyone was killed in the village by uh, radical Islamists that night that the Lord revealed himself. And um, so it shares a, a testimony of him going village to village. They actually follow him with cameras and watch him do his thing. So he goes with his team into this new village that nobody's known the Lord or anything like that. And he goes right to the witch doctor's house. And witch doctors are... Uh, People who practice witchcraft, um, very demonic, uh, and they're who all the people in the villages typically go to for spiritual advice. They're also people that have a lot of power. A lot of power. Um, oftentimes. So it's, it's interesting that he goes straight there. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's very purposeful. But the witch doctor, a lot of times, can control animals. Like there's uh, reports of witch doctors that call on elephants to trample different people's homes and I mean it this is what I'm saying we live in a bubble because we know nothing of witch doctor you know we're arguing about whether we can have tattoos and yoga and <laughs> <laughs> over there it's like they got witch doctors and stuff I mean it's just anyway um, so he goes straight to the witch doctor and he it's this old woman she old I mean she looks real old she's blind and can hardly move and he goes right up to her and smiles he's like grandmother we've come today to dance with you are you ready to dance? And she's like, what is going on? And so he preaches the gospel to her and tells her, you know, we want to pray for you. We want to pray that you can walk again. And they pray for her body. It's, you know, it's like five guys. And they just pray. It's nothing crazy. They pray for like a couple minutes. And they say, all right, grandmother, let's stand up. We're going to watch you walk. She hasn't been able to walk by herself for years, years. She gets up and starts walking on her own. For the first time in a long time. And they're like, awesome. That's good. All right. We're going to pray for your sight now. We're gonna, the Lord's going to restore your eyesight. We lay hands on it. 
And in the video, I mean, me and Mo are watching it. You can watch, you know how like blind people have like the, the film over their eyes. You can watch as she's blinking and tears are in her eyes. The film starting to fall out of her eyes. And she starts looking around and she's like, what in the world? And he's like, can you see? And she's like, yeah, I can see. And that, so now this witch doctor has encountered the power of the spirit. He goes, which power do you like better? The power of demons or the power of the spirit? She goes, I like this one, the power of God, like the spirit of God. It, it comes without any burdens. And I just feel it working all throughout me. He's like, come on, let's dance. And if he explains African culture because she doesn't really respond like you would expect someone to respond who gets healed. Because most people that get healed are like, oh my gosh, and very emotional. Witch doctors are trained to not have emotions. Uh, if they're sad, they don't cry. If they're happy, they don't get happy. They're mellow so that nobody, so that they can never get thrown off. They're always emotionally stable in control. <laughs> control. Uh, that's, there's a whole... I mean, when you think about it too, like if, you're, if you spend your whole life as a conduit, for other things like being in control and shut down means you can yeah handle that handle all there yeah exactly yeah and so um they he goes up to her he tells her grandmother we're gonna dance today we're gonna dance and rejoice because the lord's moved and she gets up and hasn't shown emotion in probably 30 40 50 maybe her whole life years um she gets up and she starts dancing and they're singing a song and it's, they don't have musicians. They're just clapping and singing this song about the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. And uh, the amazing thing is she's training up her grandson to take her place. Her grandson's there and they, he, he's so convicted that he brings out their idols. They had all these idols that they worshiped. He brings out their idols. They bring it to a fire in the middle of the yard and they burn all the idols. And then they're left dancing. And now he's being trained to be a pastor of that area. That's just one testimony of all the things going on in the rest of the world. And it's not because this guy's surprise is so powerful in the spirit. He even talks about it. He's like, so many people want to live in control and they want to do all this stuff. But he's like, people don't control the river. You don't see people control the river. They go to the river. They try to control it. They get washed away. Those who experience the river in the best way are the ones that jump in the river and go with the flow. <laughs> and he's like, it's the same thing with the spirit. He's all smiling. You got to go with the flow. Um, I mean, I could sit here and tell you testimony of testimony after testimony of what the Lord's doing in other areas in the world. It's not because people are more studied or more all these different things. It's because people are simply obeying the call of Jesus. They're laying their hands on the sick and allowing God the opportunity to work through them and to do what he said he was going to do. God cannot do, or God chooses not to do what he wants to do without us working with him. Because right now, today, God could save every single person. He could show himself like he did to Paul. He could show himself to every person in the world and gain their affection. But that's not what he wants. He wants people to actively choose him. And he wants to work with an earthly family of human beings, me, you, sons and daughters, that we go out and we bring people back into the fold through him. 
Does that make sense? So we've gone through this whole discipleship series, um, and I really pray that it doesn't just become a Bible study that we just read and we feel good because we know more, but that when we leave this place, we are feeling more radical about our faith, that we're uh, the power of God is moving through the truth of the gospel and lights up our hearts so that we would see what he wants to do through us. Because God wants to move through each one of us. And it starts with the small steps of obedience. Like, I'm not saying today you need to go find a witch doctor around Virginia. <laughs> Chances are you won't find them. But what can you do today? If you don't know, why don't you ask him? Have not because you ask not. You ask not. You have not because you ask not. That's exactly right. He's inviting you into relationship with him. Um, so in a very practical way, um, I want to encourage every, every one of us to spend time with him. To uh, allow him chances to speak to put down the things that take up our time, that steal from our time from him. I was just, me and Monica started a thing last night that we're learning about and trying to walk in. Um, and we're, we're going to try to pray and worship and read the word in the evening before we go to bed, for like an hour before we go to bed. Probably could have started with 30 minutes. You know, It doesn't have to be an hour. But just some time before we go to bed, we're going to spend time Intentionally, number one, worshiping, and then number two, reading a passage of Scripture. That Romans 8 passage was the passage we read last night, um, talking about our adoption, our spirit of adoption, that we are now sons and daughters of God, that we are adopted. Um, and that was the one we kind of just, we just meditated on. And we, I, I was sitting down with my journal. I was asking the Lord, what are you speaking? And he, he started speaking things. And I just started writing things down. And it's given me direction for my life, um, for what he wants from me. Actually, the picture I got was that Jesus was holding his hand out to me. And my initial thought was, he's expecting me to give him something that I shouldn't have. And I'm like, what, what am I holding on to that I need to give to Jesus? And so I started going through the list. And then I quickly realized he was saying, you got to ask me, what do I want? And so I said, okay, well, Jesus, what do you want? He said, I want you to give up control. And I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? He said, you control your life. I'm not a controlling person. I'm very open. But he revealed to me that my control comes through um, uh, apathy and passivity. That I control my life by being passive about things. Um, and I believe if I can procrastinate or be passive enough, then I don't have to uh, exert so much energy. And he revealed to me that my way of resting is not restful. It's taking away from my life. I mean, I mean, I just like hit me. And I was like, I've never would have considered myself a controlling person. And he said, what would it look like if you just fully yielded yourself to me? If you fully gave yourself to me? And I was like, well, you could do anything through me. You could heal the sick. You could raise the dead. You could do all these things. Like your passivity 
is not allowing me to work through you. You need to be active and you need to allow me to move in you and lose control of what you what you want. Because one of my big things is I I like to control my appearance before people. I I have a long history of being a people pleaser um, and worrying about what people may think of me or what they might say about me. Um, and God's like, I'm your defender. It doesn't matter what other people said. Um, so I share that to say, like, it's not like I did anything crazy. It's not like we were entering into the third heaven and we were hanging out in the Jello Mountains. And, uh, no, I was laying on the floor. I was listening to worship music. And I just had an inkling in my head, a, 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 a picture. And I just started interacting with the picture, uh, with Jesus, asking him what he was trying to do. In, in like 30 minutes, he revealed to me something that I never would have seen by myself. Um, just imagine I, you do that every day. Like if the Lord will do that for me, he'll do that for all of us. Imagine you do that every day. Where you go, before you go to bed, you plant seeds. When you wake up, you see what the Lord's done overnight to grow those seeds. And you start looking at the fruit. What would that look like for you guys? What things do we need to get rid of? What idols do we need to burn so that he is our one and our only? What things do we need to change so that we're not just living this life half in and half out? Jesus says that he will spew the lukewarm out of his mouth in Revelation. He'd rather us be hot or cold. He doesn't like the fence. So we need to choose. The fence is an illusion. If you're on the fence, you're on the wrong side. So this is kind of challenging, kind of heavy, but there's such joy in it. When we walk in the Spirit, when we walk with Him, you will experience pleasure like you've never experienced. You will experience fulfillment like you've never experienced. You will experience rest and peace like you've never experienced. Let's pursue it. That's what all this is about. And let's go to the world and do what we actually talk about. Let's not be a church that sits around and says, we believe this and this and this and this. And we've got a nice church website with all the our, our documents of faith. You know, somebody actually, uh, we've started the Facebook for Maranatha House, and somebody messaged on Facebook and asked what our statement of faith was. And I had to respond saying, I don't really have one. We believe in the Lord. We believe in Jesus. I wrote out a, a nice long one, and they were like, oh, that's good. Uh, but, you know, I'm, how silly. Like, I guess it's not that silly, but it's just priorities, man. Why is that the most important thing? What's your church doing? How's the Lord moving in your church? Shouldn't that be like one of the first things? Anyway. Um, it should be, but it's not. It's not. And it, I'm no knock to that person. I get it. And that's, I would ask the same question in a lot of ways. My big thing is I think all of us need a perspective shift and we need a priority change. And we need to be willing to obey him, whatever that looks like. So I'm just going to pray um, and bless us. And um, yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Father, we just thank you. I thank you for this. It's a heavy word. It's a heavy challenge. Um, 
And as much as I want to say, take the challenge away, um, I don't want to push away the things that you're, you're burdening us with because they are a good burden and they're not a heavy burden. You're making our hearts heavy for the kingdom so that um, we live with a mindset of how you can move in our everyday life. That we actually would believe the things that we say we believe. That we would no longer ride the fence. God, I just pray for each person in here. One of the first things that came with the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the early church was boldness. They left the place bold. They started preaching and spreading the gospel boldly. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you would give to Maranatha House, our church, a spirit of boldness um, to walk this thing out, to lay our lives down, to um, say that one soul is worth my life. that we would live our lives like you did, Jesus, as servants to all, giving to all, laying down our lives for a friend. Um, I just pray that you would move in us, Father, um, that you would uh, reprogram us from the programming we've received, just from the culture we've lived in, um, that we would be reprogrammed to uh, the kingdom. so yeah, we just uh, we honor you today. We glorify you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us throughout the day and give us practical steps of what we can do to really, truly walk this thing out, to walk the Christian life, um, that we would not just be Christians by name, but our deeds and our actions would reveal what our hearts believe and that your kingdom would be here on earth just as it is in heaven. So we bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope today's podcast blessed you. And as always, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus.